Welcome to the Center for a New American Securities NATSEC Women podcast series. Last year, we started a project on getting new audiences to think and talk about issues of gender, inclusivity, and national security. Schedule an event with gender in the title, and you can guarantee it is 95% women talking to other women in the audience about women's issues. So we tried other ways. Some audiences were receptive, some weren't. Some were frustrated we were making a big deal out of a topic they thought was closed. Asked and answered, move on. But among the women we know, it didn't feel nearly as clear cut. So we're bringing you right to the source one-on-one candid conversations with women in national security about their careers, their experience, their advice, and their lessons. Here's their stories. I'm Julie Smith, the director of the Transatlantic Security Program at the Center for a New American Security, and I'm joined here today with Amanda Sloat, who is a Robert Bosch Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution. She also served in the Obama administration as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Southern Europe and the Mediterranean. And she spent many years working on the Hill on a variety of foreign policy and transatlantic issues on the HVAC. And uh, couldn't be happier to have her here today to talk about women in national security. Welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here, Julie. So, Amanda, you have had all sorts of interesting experiences in and out of government. Um, I think some people are, or many women that we talk to, and men as well who listen to this podcast, are always interested in hearing how people got their start in national security. So take us back to the early days when you were just uh, entering the field, and how did you get the bug? How did you decide to enter the field of national security? How did it all begin? Well, I tell people that I'm a poster child for how study abroad can literally change your life. Uh, So like you, I am from Michigan, and growing up there, I didn't necessarily have a a huge sense of the outside world. Uh, (laughs) I studied political theory as an undergrad. I was always very interested in government. I was interested in the American founding. Uh, But I told a friend my freshman year who was studying international relations that I had no interest in what was happening in the rest of the world. Uh, And the Balkans conflict was happening at the time. And I was incredibly confused about Bosnian Serbs and Bosnian Muslims and Bosnian Croats. And I just none of this made any sense to me. Uh, So my first lesson is that what you study in undergrad does not necessarily determine what you do with the rest of your life. True, true. Uh, That I think the skills you, you gain how to write critically, how to think analytically, how to uh, speak well, and, and that ultimately is, is what matters more than, than whatever you study. And, and yes, mom, even though I did a degree in political theory, I did manage to, to get a job <laughs> afterwards. So what really changed things for me is I went on a trip to the UK the summer between my junior and senior year of college. Uh, we spent a month in London, and then we spent a week in Edinburgh. Found out later the reason we went to Edinburgh is because the professor leading the program wanted to golf at St. Andrews. Oh, and a worthy the goal. Only, yeah. So a, a man who wanted to golf literally changed the direction of my life. <laughs> random, and, very random. And it was the, the summer of 1996, and they were gearing up for their election campaign. And you had had 18 years of conservative government. You'd had Margaret Thatcher. You had people really wanting a change. And in that, you had Tony Blair, who was a young, dynamic candidate. A very similar sense of energy as to the U.S. when Obama got elected after eight years of of Republican governance. Uh, And I really fell in love with with Scotland and plans to set up a brand new government in Scotland. And so I had visions of Federalist-style debates that I had studied as an undergrad (laughs) happening in, in Edinburgh. And while it wasn't quite that, it was an opportunity 
to be able to, to experience another culture, another system of, of governance. And so what initially began as a one-year master's turned into a three-year PhD program, uh, turned into an internship in Brussels working in the European Commission. Uh, and then I found myself moving to Belfast, Northern Ireland a week before 9-11. And it was actually a really moving place to experience 9-11 because it was a population that had had so many experiences with, with terrorism itself. Uh, so that that really was, was how I got the bug. And, and once I left Michigan and went overseas, there was uh, no going back. And so my second piece of advice would really be for people interested in national security to get yourself overseas. I, I personally think it's very hard to be Incredible working in foreign policy if you haven't spent the time overseas and really immersed yourself in another culture. I agree. And I also agree. had the opportunity to see how the U.S. looks from the outside. Exactly. Uh, so I was there during 9-11. I was there during the start of Afghanistan. I was there during the Iraq War. And not only are you seeing what the U.S. looks like from abroad, but you're participating in a very different national debate. Sure. No, I 100% agree with you on that. My first experience abroad was actually in high school and grew up in a small town in Michigan and having people reflect America back to me at that young age of 16 uh, really changed the perspective. I just had never had an experience like that and it just opens up your worldview in a very dramatic way that left a lasting imprint on my career uh, forever. So, okay, so you, you get your PhD, you're on course, you now know how you're going to bring this interest in politics together with an interest in foreign policy and after that, everything just fell into place and went as planned. You had a master plan. I mean, I look at your CV and I see total coherence and uh, a trajectory that goes from A to B in perfect logical form. So am I right in assuming that once you got that PhD behind you, you had a vision and you executed on your career in foreign policy? Tell yes, us how that absolutely. Went. My whole life is unfolding <laughs> according to a coherent master plan that I had. Uh, that's certainly the, the public narrative that I like to put out, and uh, certainly in an, or in an era of social media where you can curate your image on Facebook yes, and, yes. and Instagram, you know, it's, it's helpful to have a public narrative that, that everything, of course, was, was very coherent and, and well thought out. Uh, but no, I absolutely not. And, and that's another thing that I tell people. Uh, especially young people who are looking at what path to pursue. I was on a, a career panel once, and the, the gentleman who was on the panel with me said to people, you know, look at the bio, look at the resume of the person that you want to be, and then try and work backward and follow those steps. Oh, my God. And I think that's horrible advice because you just never know what opportunities are going to come up and, and what pathways are right. going to open for you. And so the thing you don't see when you look at my very coherent uh, uh, bio is all of the jobs I applied for and I didn't get. There were many opportunities that my life could have gone in multiple directions. Uh, you don't see the months and months that I spent pounding the pavement and networking with people. Uh, you don't see the jobs that I was asked to apply for and interview for and then didn't get. None of, none of that is there. Uh, I'm delighted with the way things have worked out. I have no regrets about the way things have, have worked out, but it, it certainly wasn't coherent. And so another piece of advice that I would give to people is pursue large amounts of, of opportunities and throw a lot of balls in the air and then see which ones come back your way and land. 
uh, when you're in your 20s. I think it's it's great for people to do as many different internships as you can in a lot of different places. Uh, I think people are going to give you a bit of a pass in your 20s to have a bunch of six-month stints in a way that people certainly would look uh, askance at now at a 40-something resume. But, but in your 20s, you can try out lots of different things. And my father always said to me, it's just as important to work out what you don't want to do as it is what you do want to do. And so it gives you the opportunity to, to check things out. Another thing I learned is that if an opportunity doesn't immediately exist, create it. When I was doing my postdoc, I got a little bored living in Belfast after a while. It was a fascinating city, but, but truly on the periphery of Europe. Uh, so I went and lived in Prague for a summer. Uh, I did a six-month fellowship in the UN's research institute. I mm. saw they had a woman working on gender issues. I was working on uh, gender issues uh, at, at the, the university. And I emailed and said, can I come and hang out with you? All you have to do is give me a computer and a badge to the UN. I've got my salary. I'll find a place to live. And they said yes. And it's really surprised me throughout my career, the things that people will say yes to if you, you simply, just ask. if you yeah. just ask. Yeah. And so if you know generally what you want to do, but you can't necessarily find the job, create the opportunity. Uh, there's certainly an element of, of luck and timing. And I think this is being experienced in Washington by almost everybody at the moment. Uh, if you were a Trump true believer from the beginning, then this is your moment and the career path has worked out. For the rest of us, uh, you know, if you're a Democrat, you probably thought you were going to go into a Hillary administration and that didn't work out. If you were a never Trump Republican, you probably thought another candidate was going to win that you would want to work for. And after eight years on the sidelines, you'd finally get your turn in the administration. If you're a senior official in the State Department, for example, you may have thought you were in line for an ambassador job and now your mentors have left or you might be tainted by a senior job that you had in the Obama administration. And so for a lot of people across Washington, there's a lot of confusion. And certainly for young people who may have dreamed of going into the Foreign Service and are now questioning that or wondering if they can even get past the hiring freeze, there's a lot of questions. And so there certainly is an element of unpredictability in this field. And so, you know, this is going to be another moment where perhaps the resume uh, takes a turn in a direction that it might not have if, if events had gone in a different way. Uh, and that's where I think thinking creatively and, and again, being willing to explore a large number of, of options comes into play. So you talked about your 20s a little bit and the importance of trying different hats on and seeing what your interests are and how you feel in different roles, and I totally appreciate that. Um, but now, let's say your 20-year-old self is sitting right here at this table with us. What type of advice would you offer your 20-year-old self, particularly in terms of being a woman working in the field of national security? Are there pieces of advice that maybe you see clearly now that you would share with your 20-year-old self that just it, it wasn't apparent to you, certain challenges, unique challenges that you might face uh, or that you did face in your 20s? And how, did, how, would you, how would you look back and offer some words of advice to your 20-year-old self? I think one piece of advice I would give myself is just to relax uh, because ultimately it is all going to work out somehow. Uh, you know, and this is advice I, I still need to, to give to myself. Uh, but I think there is a tendency to put so much pressure on yourself and feel like you need to know exactly what it is you, you want to do in, in your 20s. 
Uh, and so I think relaxing, going with the flow a little bit more, taking advantage of opportunities uh, certainly would be one piece of advice. I, the other piece, and, and I know you've talked about this a lot on the show, is, is the challenges of working as a woman in national security. And on one hand, I don't think of myself as a woman in national security. I'm just a person who works in national security that happens to be a woman. On the other hand, it's, it's very real, and certainly in watching the stories that everybody has been putting out as part of the, the Me Too movement, have really resonated. And when it first started, I almost didn't post it on social media because I thought, well, of course me, and is there a single woman that this hasn't it happened to? Yeah. It, it almost shouldn't even be a thing because it, it happens to all of us. But that in itself is a problem when you start to discount things that are happening because it's just an expected price of, of business. Uh, you know, so it's the the people that wouldn't do the the interviews when I was doing my PhD unless I would go on dates with them. It's the people, you know, touching me inappropriately in office settings. It's being a senior government official doing meetings and getting hit on by government officials of other countries in in those meetings. And you just roll with it because that's that's just the way it it goes. Uh, the thing that I've been very fortunate with is when I have had unfortunate things that have happened. I have generally had men and women bosses and colleagues that have gone to bat for me and that when things that have happened, I have been able to talk to them and they have believed me and they have taken steps to help address those things. And so the other thing that I think is just extremely important is to have mentors. Um, you've certainly been that to, to me over the years, you know, somebody that can be a sounding board, uh, somebody who's willing to, to pull young women up behind them, uh, to, to create opportunities for women. And, and also to believe women when these things happen. And so men absolutely need to be part of the conversation. I think there's, there's a little too much of, of women talking to other women. And I think that's important because you need to create a safe space, you need to exchange experiences, and you need to strategize. But ultimately, you need men who are, are willing to, to be helpful in, in this as well. Uh, but I think both men and women need to believe women when they have these things happen to them. I think they need to be much more conscious of, of what's happening and, and stop thinking of it as simply the accepted price of, of business. Uh, and, and also to really provide mentorship opportunities for, for women, to reinforce them when they speak in meetings, to, to push them forward, to be willing to, to go to, to bat for them. And, and I've been fortunate throughout my career to have had both men and women who have believed in me and, and been willing to, to push me forward. And so I also think there's a, a sense of karma that comes along with that. So True. Julia, you and I were just talking earlier about information interviews in, in Washington. And I think this town runs on networks. It runs on relationships. Uh, it's important to remember that your reputation is your currency. And once that gets damaged, it's, it's very hard to get back. But I think people are generally willing to talk to young people and, and help them out because yeah. all of us were in a place where we needed help and we needed to engage with people. And so certainly for me, uh, I want to help bring up young people, both men and women behind me. Uh, final note on that is, is I am concerned in this this current climate that we're going to lose a young generation to going into national security. Yeah, uh, uh, that it's it's being demonized right now. Uh, it's it's being undervalued, especially the diplomacy and the development side, and that people may end up going into business or or other careers. Business is certainly legitimate. We need people in the private sector as well, but we also need really smart, capable people in foreign policy. And if we believe in the enduring nature of our democratic institutions, we need to continue to staff them and we need to have smart, 
ambitious, visionary people filling those jobs. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. I do worry about our ability to retain talent. First of all, get talent inside the system and keep them there. And I hope that this isn't, we're not going to see the effects of this years and years from now. I fear, unfortunately, we will. Very last question. As a senior official at the State Department, you traveled a lot. Uh, I'm just curious, as you were often the head of delegation or part of a senior delegation going to various places uh, on the other side of the Atlantic and beyond, what type of unique challenges did you encounter as a woman in national security? Is it the same ball game? Is it some of the same challenges that you encounter here? Some of the anecdotes you just gave us surface in other foreign countries. Are there any unique aspects to it as a senior official traveling abroad? What can you say about being abroad as a senior government official? That's an interesting question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I traveled with congressional delegations. I traveled uh, on a vice presidential delegation, and then I traveled uh, with with the boss at the State Department and the White House, and then also on on my own. Um, you know, I've been a little bit. There's been lots of discussion about the Pence rule and whether or not men should be alone with women. And and I had a male boss who I traveled with for for two years, and it was totally, totally fine. I, he simply treated me like a human being. Uh, we were able to be in airports. We had dinner. Uh, we went to meetings, and I got to see the policy firsthand. Uh, I never felt uncomfortable, and everything just felt as normal as if I was traveling with, with a woman. And I'm really grateful for the experiences I had to be able to, to do those trips. Uh, as a woman, I never had a particular challenge on any of the other congressional delegations that, that I staffed as a woman. But like I referred to earlier, there were certainly moments when I was a senior woman abroad uh, that I was taken less seriously because I was a woman. I was taken less seriously because I looked young. Uh, and like I said, there was one meeting that was particularly striking where I was meeting a very senior official from another country's government, and I got hit on during the meeting. <laughs> and it's very difficult to be delivering your talking points on what you're trying to convey on the bilateral relationship when this official in front of a large number of people from my embassy and from his staff is inviting you for dinner. Um, it's, it's, it's not only awkward and uncomfortable, but it's also deeply disappointing as a professional that you are not being taken seriously in, in communicating your message. Well, Amanda, thanks for your service, for your public service, for everything you've done in government and now what you're doing out of government. We look forward to continuing to track your professional career and seeing where you end up next. But thanks for taking some time out today to talk to us about women in national security. Well, thank you for having me and thank you personally for all you've done to support me throughout my career. Thanks.